This is Reaganism, a podcast dedicated to exploring where the Reagan movement lives today. I'm Roger Zak. I'm your host, director of the Ronald Reagan Institute in Washington, D.C. On this special episode of Reaganism, recorded live at the 2022 Social Innovation Summit, Roger sits down with Barbara Comstock, who served as the congresswoman from Virginia's 10th district from 2015 to 2019. Um, Of course, you're known as a former member of Congress. You were elected in 2014, served two terms uh, for Virginia's 10th congressional district. Looking at your bio, I kind of feel like you got out at a great time. (laughs) Yes, I have to say, I was uh, on the way over, a a former colleague of mine uh, gave me a call to say, I'm mad at you. And I said, what did I do? And he said, you didn't tell me how great it is to be a former member. (laughs) And, you know, kidding aside, it is such a privilege to serve in government in so many capacities, as you know, and working to impact policy that you care about. I came to Washington as an intern, then I worked on Capitol Hill as a staffer, working on a variety of policies. I morphed over into a chief counsel position and got to do things there, worked on Senate campaigns, congressional and uh, presidential along the way, served in the Bush administration at the Justice Department, and then accidentally, while I was out in the private sector, kind of got recruited to run in the General Assembly, State House in Virginia, and then Congress. So all of those roles, no matter what you are, you can serve in so many different ways. It was, I had that 10-year time when I was actually elected, but all the other roles um, really had so many impacts too. And so for all of you, no matter what job you're involved in, and I think technology is a way that we can all be engaged in the public sector now, you can have an impact. And so always know sort of your power and what you can do because you're an expert in your area and Congress and government usually are generalists, certainly the members are. But I was delighted to see today already I saw somebody who testified in my committee on a great app that he had on helping uh, prevent uh, suicide. So, you know, it was so exciting to be able to somebody like that to come and help. Thank you. (laughs) And then I also saw somebody I worked on human trafficking bills with who's here. So life really is about relationships. And and those relationships, you know. And it goes beyond the Congress. And we were talking about about that before uh, we came on the stage because you had all those years as a staffer, service in the Congress and the uh, executive branch. And then you think you reached that kind of the mountaintop when you are that member of Congress with the gavel, have, wielding all that power. But you know, here at this, this Social Innovation Summit, in some ways, you could be as impactful, if not more impactful, in your life after serving U.S. Congress. Tell us about kind of social innovation, what that means to you specifically and more broadly, how you've taken those experiences and made them impactful and meaningful today now that you're out of public service. Well, I I do work a lot in the tech space because I represented an area in Virginia that was very tech-savvy and tech-heavy. I actually had not taken a science class since I had been in high school, so this was new to me, but that's the fun part of public service, too. You dive in and learn um, new things. I ended up chairing uh, in the State House a committee on on tech as well as in, in Congress a subcommittee. And the great thing about it is it does democratize information in a way that I think is so exciting. And I think one of the areas we're seeing it right now most distinctly being effective is in Ukraine. Um, from you know, starting with President Zelensky and his power to you know, take those videos and communicate directly to us and be able to see the difference between evil and Putin with all his money and all his power 
and all the oligarchs, you have a man standing up directly speaking to people and changing the world. So I really think that impact exists. So that's what's exciting to me about technology and why we need to keep it. Um, the U.S. model is the best one, not the China, not the, U, not the EU, but U.S. Well, there are a lot of doubters out there. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to get to some of the, the work you, you've done in terms of democratizing technology for Americans and, 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 and others, but let's stick with Zelensky and, and the way he's utilized technology. It's remarkable. We have people real, really concerned about the United States' ability to compete, uh, whether an autocracy, an autocrat like Putin is someone who could marshal all the technology of one country and deploy it against a vulnerable country like Ukraine uh, and seek to undermine and their freedom and, and through the propaganda machine and this one man's voice through uh, you know, a smartphone that you could buy you know, anywhere somehow defeating this strong despot sitting in Moscow. I mean, is this something that should give all of us confidence here, or, or is there the other side that we have to be mindful of, of some of the challenges that still remain? Well, certainly we know we always have challenges, but it reminds me a lot of what Ronald Reagan, and I consider myself a Ronald Reagan Republican, you know, the Reagan uh, Institute, so I, that was sort of the leadership that I grew up with and found very powerful. I remember the Pope, Maggie Thatcher, and Ronald Reagan kind of standing up to, uh, uh, you know, the evil empire and uh, speaking truth to power in that way. And back in those days, Ronald Reagan didn't have all of the ways to, you know, he didn't have a very friendly media, no Twitter but he went out and was able to get, because it was the clarity and the purity, I think, of the message. So I do think as much as everyone doesn't, you know, certain former elected people who don't like if, you know, they are cut off from the things, but it's, it's really the power of the message. And I think Private, the private sector, entrepreneurs being able to get that message out there. But I think with Reagan and with Zelensky, you see that purity of message that rallies people to come together. You know, when you look at 90% of Americans support Zelensky, 90% of Americans, you know, don't think, you know, the sun rises every day. Right. <laughs> so this is so powerful that he's been able to break through. And I think that should tell us when you have people who are willing to stand up and say things that are true, take risks, that courage is contagious. And Reagan had it, uh, Zelensky had it, I think uh, has it. And I think when you see people do that and stand up, it's, it's refreshing and people will follow. It is remarkable in a time where there's so much divisiveness at home and abroad that there is consensus around this because mm -hmm. the plight of human dignity and, and freedom it, it speaks to, to everyone. Let's talk um, about some of your other work, uh, again, in, in thinking about social innovation and particularly your focus on women's empowerment. Um, you have the Young Women's Leadership Program, which uh, is out of the Barbara Comstock Institute for Women's Leadership at George Mason University. That's something you've been passionate about for some time. Tell us about their work and what it took to create it and, and, and what it's doing today. Well, I started the program when I was in uh, the Virginia General Assembly because I realized that there were very few women on my side of the aisle, but just very few women, you know, there weren't we weren't at 50% parity, and I realized nobody had really asked me to run ever until later in my life when I sort of accidentally got recruited to run, and I realized, well, why don't young women see themselves as leaders in all kinds of roles from an early age? So I started the program because I wanted young girls in junior high and high school to see themselves as leaders, to interact with leaders. So all the program does is expose 
young women in junior high and high school to leaders in business and politics, in charities, um, in science and medicine, and they just tell their story and talk, and then you know, just Q and A with the girls talking about their challenges, how they overcame their challenges, but really putting it in their head early on that you can and should be a leader in whatever type so you're of building field. Building the connections and modeling. Yeah, and, and so we had a little. Uh, 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 detour during COVID because oh. it is intended to be a live program. So you go to, you come to Congress, you meet people, you see yourself because particularly for disadvantaged young women, you want to get, you know, I, you know, I mean, I grew up not knowing a lot of people myself. I wouldn't consider myself disadvantaged, but if you haven't been in those settings that so many of us are, you might not see yourself. So it's really just getting them to stand in the well of Congress, to go to a hospital and meet with those doctors and see the surgeons and see what's going on and imagine yourself in that environment. So that, it's, so, it's, so it's very simple and we are starting it back up this summer. So anyone who, would, it's, we're online is George Mason, Young Women Leadership Program, and we don't start till the end of June or so, so we still can have young women let in there. Me, let me like ask you about what they're interested in, because I think one of the challenges this country faces is a lack of confidence in our institutions, political institutions in particular. The military is highly regarded, but after that, it's a big drop. If the U.S. Congress has more than 8% support, it's like a good <laughs> year, you know? So for these women, uh, that you're trying to inspire uh, to become leaders, civic leaders and leaders in, in, in different fields, do you see them shying away from you know, the political landscape, becoming a leader in their community, a, a public office, elective office, or is that something that actually getting some traction? Well, I think a lot of our speakers are trying to inspire the young women to keep that idealism because I feel, and you know, I'm on, on the end of things here, but not the end, but I feel like uh, I think Arthur Brooks has, writes, has written a great book, if you haven't read it, about strength to strength and about sort of the second half of your life, how you take your experiences and put them to work. So I feel like that's what I'm doing with this young woman's leadership program and other teaching I do. And I like to, certainly from a public service standpoint, say it is noble and great to be involved and you know, take risks, get out there, don't have that fear that I think often one of the things young women fear is losing or failing. And, and in any career, we hear that over and over from many of the women leaders that, gee, I, I was a little bit afraid to take risks. And you realize if you take those risks, um, you know, yes, you might lose, but the upside is great. And I'd say, um, I, when I lost my race in 2018, I got to go to the Harvard Institute of Politics. Um, I had not gotten into Harvard for law school, so I said, well, I <laughs> had lost. to lose Congress to get into Harvard. That was a pretty good deal. Now I'm going to Harvard Business School because I'm on boards and I'm trying to, you know, upskill there. So I, a big thing that we also tell the young women is to be lifetime learners and don't ever stop, but be optimistic and don't let sort of the noise in politics or the noise out there that's negative, don't let it impact you. So it's a very positive experience. And it, the positiveness is out there if you expose yourself to it. I can get sucked into the negative like anybody else. But I think there are great, it only takes a few people with courage, a few people with optimism to kind of turn it so around. Optimism, courage, you also talk about willingness to fail. Yes, and, and, yes. And, and, and to push You learn forward. more from your failures than your successes, we all know. And I'm, I'm curious about one, one piece of legislation in particular you focus on in the Congress and to the extent you, you've kept at it now that you're out of 
out of public office, but you co-sponsored the bipartisan Inspire Women Act, which really focused on uh, encouraging and, and, and creating opportunities for women in the STEM fields. Talk about that, and you know, we talk about public service, elective office, but STEM in particular is an area that there's a great degree of focus, at least in Washington, in terms of people speaking about the need for more women to be in STEM, What's actually happened? Yes, and again, and getting that you know right into the grade schools. You know, I mean, now we see um, we had programs to get kids coding in kindergarten, mm -hmm. and you. So it was very exciting to be able to go into, you know, particularly say a, a disadvantaged school, and you'd see these kids coding in kindergarten. And you know, the earlier you get there, the more it doesn't matter. You know what their zip code is or where they come from that you, you know, and so many of our tech companies are helping facilitate that. So my bill was really, it was focused in NASA, but we did other things sort of throughout, you know, STEM in general, and it was part of a caucus of getting more women in STEM, diversifying STEM, so racially more diverse too, because, you know, these that, are- It's a bipartisan con uh, caucus, geographically Congress. distributed, yeah. I mean, yes. every kind of yeah. agreement on that. And on get it, you know, um, Steve Case talks about, you know, the rise of the rest, getting tech into all those, you know, all across the country, and I think with, um, you know, post-COVID, you're going to have a lot more opportunities to, you know, people are changing where and how they want to work, and that hopefully will open up a lot more opportunities all across the country. So, so we meet, and we, so many STEM jobs, like in Virginia alone, I think, I know, you know, just a few years ago, it was 30,000 or more cybersecurity jobs were open and in need, and you don't have to get a four-year degree to go into cyber. You can go to a community college, you can just, if you don't like your career, just get back into STEM. So it's really something, again, that fits into that lifelong learning, but I think for young people, getting those young kids, particularly in grammar school, making sure that you know, no matter what the population is, that they understand that STEM is their future and no matter what kind of job you have. If you're gonna go into the theater, you need to know STEM right. in the theater. You're gonna be doing social media, you're gonna be doing all kinds of, you know, pixel and cute and right. <laughs> cool things in, in, uh, in, in Hollywood. Everybody They're needs a digital tight. strategy, everybody yes. needs to reach beyond the, the, the room alone. Uh, in our final minutes here, uh, take a step back with us for a second because you have such a unique perspective as someone who was in elective office, in government, now outside, public sector, private sector, when you were in Congress, if there was something that you've learned now that you wish you would have known, meaning something now that you're out, out of Congress, you've absorbed that if you had known it, you would have been more effective, or, and the opposite, you know, the, the experience now in the private sector you have, you benefit because of something you saw in the Congress. Share with us, kind of as we think about social innovation and bringing all these skills and experiences together, what's been one of those observations, aha moments that you've had? Well, I think, I think because I had been staff, I probably did appreciate how many different, you, know, you just can expose yourself in Congress and meet so many different uh, people and communities and really embracing that. And um, I do, you know, as, as people are running, I said, you know, just enjoy it because it's something that, I mean, I was fortunate to have people like, be joyful, you know, win or lose, get out there, you're gonna meet so many more people, you're gonna understand your community better, no matter what jobs you end up having after you serve or when you're serving, you know, what committees you're on or anything, the more you are just, you know, soaking it up and taking every opportunity. And that's why I always tell students and my kids and young people, it's like, you know, get up on a Saturday morning and go to that lecture. You know, I mean, you all are here at something like this where you're getting exposed to all kinds of great people that you never know where you're going to, I mean, it's relationships. It's not networking. Washington always talks about networking and who you know. 
I didn't know a single person when I came to Washington, um, but I developed relationships in the volunteer roles and, and the different jobs I had that continue, I'm just amazed wherever I go, I run into somebody who I've worked with in my life, and then you find other things that you can collaborate on, whether it's a charity or, or, or you know, a job, you know, it, it just, it's exciting. And so, you know, embrace your passions and your relationships, and it makes, you know, whatever job you have just a lot of fun. One more for you while we have you on the couch and dispensing this great advice and reflecting your experiences. I mentioned the survey that we, that we do at the Reagan Institute where uh, the support, the positive opinion, trust and confidence, it's the language we use, of, of the U.S. Congress is like at 8%, 9%. Yeah. Anything you could say to that 91% of the country <laughs> that doesn't have the trust and confidence that you might be able to restore just a little bit of confidence or trust in that great institution uh, that many feel today is, is not really delivering on its promise. Yeah, well, I work with a number of private sector groups now that are trying to restore that. And I think if you, while the institution itself may have that 91% approval, find that person that you really can say, boy, you know what, they did the right thing and regardless of party, stand up with them. I was so excited to see Brad Raffensperger win his primary and to have a lot of Democrats who probably don't agree with him on a lot of things. He's in Georgia. Support, in Georgia. The Secretary Brad, of State. The Secretary of State yeah. who said, no, I'm not going to engage Certified in that election. criminal yeah. Yeah. activity. Um, you know, the same thing, um, Liz Cheney's a dear friend. I know she'll be speaking um, out at the, uh, at the Reagan Library. But I think I, I always tried to find people over my career, I mean, I'm a Republican, but people who I could believe in, even if the party or the institutions, you don't care, because that way you're going to build relationships and, and work on things to help those, those people that you can. And, and I think it rewards those people who take risks, because you have these people who are spending their political capital when they don't have to necessarily. They could do the safe thing, but they're willing to do it. But they need support for people to say, you know what, you know, yeah, I'm a Democrat, but I'm going to go vote for Liz Cheney in, in, in Wisconsin. I supported a Democrat friend of mine who said, you're in a Democrat district. You're the best one there. You've been awesome in the things we agree on. <laughs> so we worked on science and STEM together. So I said, I'm, I, you know, I'm going to support you because I don't have a Republican in the game anyway. But I just know she's of good character and somebody that I, I trust. So I think people need to do that more and kind of get out of their box. And what I certainly tell everybody is like, do not just watch one network or one station. Watch C-SPAN. If you're gonna watch one of those stations, watch more of them. I think content in who, you know, people who write things, like, even if you don't like the New York Times, it's probably a New York Times writer that you like there. Same thing with others and find people and trusted opinions that kind of mix it up. Definitely have a heavy dose of people you don't think you agree with so that you're learning more. And I, I think more people need to do that because the thing that I hate the most is how everyone's in their silos and they don't break out. And we're a 50-50 country. If you're not going to do that, it's, it's uh, going to be tough to get things done. Barbara Comstock offering a dose of diversity there. Thank you so much for being on the show and for being here today. at the We hope you enjoyed this episode of Reaganism. New episodes premiere weekly every Monday on YouTube and all podcast streaming platforms. If you like this episode, be sure to let us know and share with a friend.